everyone. Thank you for coming back for episode number 16. This episode is going to be kind of different because we do cover a lot of gruesome murders and disappearances on this podcast, but sometimes I like to throw you a whammy. So as of today, we're going to talk about the most radioactive man in the history of ever, okay? So his name is um, Hisashi Ochi. And this is in Japan, based in Japan. These are Japanese names, so I I already got everything pronounced on my notes here. So don't make fun of me if I mess something up. Um, Yeah, but today's sources will be All That's Interesting, Daily Star, Optimist Minds, History of Yesterday, and of course, Wikipedia. So... Go check out uh, Instagram. I do have photos um, related to this case already posted, as well as our missing person spotlight for the week. Um, please be advised, and a trigger warning here, since it is radiation, there are radiation exposure photos. So just keep that in mind if you are squeamish. Um, and it's like hospital photos. It's not like, you know... Um, deceased photos or anything like that as you know we don't really post anything like that and if we do for a case it is blurred out anyway so uh but yeah go check it out and sit back go grab a snack and a drink and let's get started all right guys so radiation if you've ever looked into it it's absolutely horrendous Um, from what I know, you know, they can't really study on humans, and if they have studied on humans, they ain't gonna tell us anyway. So, they've always been curious about what's its effects to the the full scale. What happens to a person when they are exposed to any type of nuclear radiation? Um, so of course, you know, they can't, they can't study on us. We're not guinea pigs. They can't study on us. But they have tortured and studied on animals, like they always do. Um, And, you know, it's not the same, I would think, anyway. But outside of, like, major events, like some of the nuclear bombings, you know, facility exploding, all that kind of stuff, you can't really study the effects on humans, right? So the event that we're about to talk about which is the 1999 uh, Tokamira nuclear accident, it had so many scientists jumping at the opportunity to study the three victims of the explosion. And unfortunately, two passed, one survived, and this is the story. So let's talk about uh, Hisashi here. So he was a lab tech at the nuclear power plant in Japan, which was um, the Tokamira. I can never say that, so we're just going to not say it anymore, but just always remember that is where he worked. Um, So people pretty much knew him because of the accident there at the plant. Um, He literally took in as much radiation as the epicenter of the Hiroshima atom incendiary device, if that makes sense. Look it up. Look it up. That's all I got to say, because I had to look it up, too. Um, There was a book written about his entire um, hospital journey, which was, let me tell you, 83 days of hell, first off, because 
we'll get into it, but his family pretty much kept him alive through his entire um, torture, because it pretty much was. Um, you'll see what I'm saying. But, um, so he lived there for 83 days, getting treatment, being tested on, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was called, the book is, A Slow Death, 83 Days of Radiation Sickness. You can look it up if you want, read it, maybe interesting. Um, now, his name is also reported as Hiroshi, uh, though it definitely was Hisashi. And the pronunciation of his last name is Aochi, which is A-O-C-H-I, which I still could be pronounced wrong. Um, even though I looked up, <laughs> but he was 35 years old at the time of the incident. Now he was, um, a native of Irabaki and he had a younger sister, a wife, a young son, and he also smoked a pack a day and had played rugby in high school. Why that was important. I don't know. That's all the details I could find about him. And we always want to have a little bit more of a, of an idea of who the person was besides what happened to him. Right. So let's move on. So, 1999, right? Uh, Hisashi had been employed as a technician at the JCO Tokamura plant, uh, where he and his colleagues were responsible for creating fuel for a fast reactor called Joyo. Um, and this is where the accident occurred. And while this is a very technical job, not much information is available about his education for that. Um, there have been several, not, I mean, maybe not several, maybe some reports that he and his colleagues were uh, relatively unqualified for the work um, and the place where the accident happened, which was the conversation test building excuse me, conversion test building. <laughs> I'm dyslexic, guys. Um, so, excuse me. But uh, it was a place that Hisashi had never worked in before. Uh, when the incident at the power plant occurred, of course, he was not by himself. He was there with two other individuals. One was Masato Shinohara, who was 39 years old. The other one was Yutaka Yokokawa, he was 54. Um, and they were just kind of in the lab working together, doing the thing. So they were all working, you know, in the in the plant. Now, um, Hisashi and Shinohara were mixing a batch of fuel containing uranium in a stainless steel tank while uh, Yokokawa was sitting at the desk about four meters away or like 13 feet away. Um, an accident involving the uranium and ectothermic chemical reaction involved in the process of creating energy from it led to a major radiation blast, which affected a total of 114 people. But while 110 received much lower doses and were pretty much fine, these three who were right there in the room, obviously mixing this, um, received doses that were extremely high, and therefore two of them passed away, which was um, our one of our the main victim that we're covering, Hisashi, and then his coworker Misato. So, you know, there is some background needed for this incident, and you know, it's kind of like it's to know how the power plant really functioned even before this accident happened, because there was supposedly a lot of safety issues to begin with 
anyway, um, which we're not going to cover, but, you know, I guess they really didn't look into stuff like they should. So pretty much the conclusion, if you guys are confused as I am about scientific terms, um, it was caused by too much uranium. So it enriched to a relatively high level and it came together you know, which caused critically or a limited uncontrolled nuclear chain reaction, which continued intermittently for 20 hours. So pretty much mixed too much stuff together and kind of exploded in a nutshell, in a nutshell. So let's learn some science because this is so over my head, guys. When I was researching this, it was so interesting, even though I didn't really understand the process of nuclear um, power plants, you know, that kind of thing. So we're going to learn together. And if I sound absolutely stupid, just bear with me. Cause I don't know what the heck is science and what is going on with nuclear power plants. Um, I was horrible at science. So <laughs> this should be interesting. So this particular power plant, right? The nuclear power plant, um, that they worked at, it was commissioned in 1988 and it processed up to three tons per year of uranium enriched up to 20% U-235. What that means, I have no idea. Um, but it was a very enriched uranium and it was more than what is usually permissible for the nuclear power plants. All right, so knowing that they used a higher enriched uranium more than what was pretty much approved, um, they used a wet process. So we're going to go over that. So the approved nuclear fuel preparation procedure for that particular plant involved dissolving uranium oxide powder and nitric acid in a dissolution tank. It was then transferred as pure urinal... Um, nitrate solution to a storage column for mixing and then it was transferred to a precipitation tank and this is the process that Hisashi and his colleague Masato were doing um, when the accident happened. So the precipitation tank uh, like the last tank that it goes into I'm assuming um, where the mixture was being transferred it has like a cooling jacket, like a water cooling jacket to help remove any excess heat generated by the ectothermic chemical reaction and any prevention of like, I guess like a critical state was based upon the general licensing requirements for mass and volume limitation and the design of the process. Now, a big part of this design was the storage column um, with like a critically safe geometry and allowing careful control of the amount of material transferred to the precipitation tank. Now, the problem at this plant was that there was serious breaches in the process involved throughout, and there were three main problems that possibly led to the accident that took place. So the company had modified their work procedure three years earlier without permission from the regulatory authorities and this new type allowed the uranium oxide to be dissolved in stainless steel buckets rather than the dissolution tank. Now, additionally, the operators were allowed to speed the process up by tipping the solution directly into the precipitation tank, which was also something that is against the rules and regulations, which are in place for the safety of everyone involved. Because 
I don't know if you guys ever know, but explosions can be huge, especially at nuclear power plants. So, also, the mixing of chemicals was meant to occur in the storage column, but was undertaken by mechanical stirring um, in the precipitation tank instead. And this measure bypassed critically controls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. I don't know why that word's tripping me up today. I've, I've recorded this like three times. I'm not redoing it. You're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> just going to have to deal with it. So, pretty much the last straw that broke the camel's back, right, was the fact that there was no proper control of the amount tipped into the 100-liter precipitation tank, and it shape-enhanced the likelihood of um, something critical, like, within it. So, and that is also exactly what happened as well. Pretty much. So, September 30th, 1999, Shinohara was pouring that urinal nitrate solution into the mixing tank straight from the steel bucket. And it was the seventh such bucket of the solution to be added. Now, um, the older co-worker, Yokokawa, started um, out holding the funnel through which Shinohara poured that liquid in. But eventually... Um, Hisashi took over while uh, Yokokawa went to sit at a desk in an adjoining room. So he got extremely lucky. Also, we'll get into it. We'll get into it in a minute. We'll get into it in a minute. But he was their supervisor, by the way. So he was like letting all of this happen, pretty much. Them doing things against protocol. Keep that in mind. Eventually, the... Um, Criticality, criti criticality, there we go, I can never say that word, um, occurred in the mixing tank leading to the echothermic reaction and all three men witnessed a huge blue flash of light, which is a type of radiation. And in that instance, they all realized that something horrible had happened and they tried to flee immediately, but none of them got too far. I don't even think they made it out of the room. Um, Hisashi made it nearby their changing room where he vomited and fainted. And the other two also made it maybe just a little further. But Masato had trouble running too far. And Yokokawa got just a little bit further before they both passed out, right? All three technicians were taken first to the local hospital and then transferred to the National Institute of Radiological Sciences. Uh, located in Chiba. And finally, Hisashi was moved to the University of Tokyo Hospital. I must warn you, um, I do have a photo of him in that University of Tokyo Hospital. Um, his skin is melted off, and he he's being forced to stay alive. So, if that is not something you don't want to see, I thought it was very interesting because never really looked into radiation much, but it is, I can see where scientists get intrigued. Like, that's crazy what it does to the body. So, if, you, if you're if you not interested in seeing the after effects of radiation exposure, please do not look on Instagram. Because I did not blur any of these photos out this time. So, just so you guys know. Now, of course, all three of them were exposed to deadly levels of radiation. More specifically, you know, Hisashi, um... He received like 17 SV of radiation due to his proximity to the reaction. Like he was pretty much closer than everybody. Um, Shinohara, he got 10. 
And Yokokawa got three because he went back to that desk, which was like several meters away from the accident. Now, when being exposed to radiation, it is said anything that is over 10 SV is deadly. So that would prove to be true in this instance because everyone passed away besides Yokokawa. So Shinohara, he, the, you know, the least affected out of the two of him and um, Hisashi, uh, received a deadly dose of radiation. He only survived seven months in the hospital until his um, death on April 27th of 2000. The technician died of lung and liver failure after a long battle against the effects of the radiation that he endured. Now, during his seven-month stay at the University of Tokyo Hospital, several skin grafts, blood transfusions, and cancer treatments were performed on him with minimal success. So, I also have a photo of him um, and his, like, in the seven months, it shows you what he came in as and how he passed away. Um, So, that's, it's not as disturbing as um, the other photo of Hisashi, but... You should check it out because it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. So, Yoko Cowell was released after only three months of treatment in the hospital. He had suffered pretty much minor radiation sickness and he survived. Um, but he did face criminal charges of negligence in October of 2000. Um, JCO, like meanwhile, would pay a whopping $121 million to settle 6,875 compensation claims after um, the incident from the affected locals. Now, get this shit, though, right? Okay, so the nuclear power plant that they were working at continued to operate under a different company, okay, which they are lucky because they, you know, went against protocol 100%. 100%. But they worked for under a different company for more than a decade until it shut down automatically during the 2011 um, Tohoku earthquake and tsunami and never operated since then. So, yay, they they completely shut down and they're done for over there. So that's good news. Now, I must say, um, the most horrific thing about the entire incident is what the three men went through. Uh, particularly Hisashi and his co-worker that also passed away, um, Sato, um, who, had, like, Hisashi himself had been right over the container when the event occurred. So, you know, he was, like, holding the funnel because the other guy was like, hey, I'm going to go sit at the desk for a minute. He was holding the funnel. He was literally, like, right there. So he absorbed most of the radiation, you know, as whereas Masato absorbed, like, 10 severts. Um, and Yokokawa, he got like three. So, you know, it was pretty bad. So the amount of radiation that Hisashi received is said to be the maximum radiation any one person has ever, excuse me, my cat jumped up, has ever received. Um, so much so that it has been likened with being at the epic center of Hiroshima Atom Incendiary Device. And as expected, it completely, completely obliterated his body. Now, by the time Hisashi was taken to the Tokyo hospital, it seemed like he was doing somewhat all right-ish, maybe. Um, over the next few days, he appeared so normal that physicians were pretty much shocked. They were like, 
so confused as to what was going on. So Hisashi somewhat had normal skin still, uh, which did not seem visibly burned. Now, only his right arm appeared to be swollen, slightly red, kind of like almost like an allergic reaction kind of thing. Um, but importantly, he was fully conscious and able to talk, hold a conversation, which might not be what you would expect from someone who had taken a full amount of radiation when the fatal number is eight. He took 17 sieverts and the fatal dose is eight. Keep that in mind. So on Instagram, if you go look through the photos, um, if you want to look up you know, just his arm, you can do so, but I must say you're still going to find the photos that I posted. So on Instagram, it does show his arm, like, I think, I think it was like the eighth day he was there and then versus the 26th day. And then eventually the very graphic photo of him, like pretty much with no skin, um, that was like towards the end. So just so you guys are aware, but I do have the arm photo on Instagram. Now, the truth that experts now seem to agree on is that Hisashi was actually in what they call walking ghost phase, and the radiation had ruined his chromosomes completely, meaning that his body no longer had any kind of blueprint for which on how to reproduce cells, um, as your body does whenever, you know, you get hurt or sick or whatever. Um, the only reason why Hisashi was living, talking, and seemed to be kind of normal after exposure was likely because the cells in his body had already made, um, like, a change prior to irradiation, which still, you know, would be used to depletion. Um, so, like, I guess they got used up when he first got exposed. I don't really know. But even the blood test showed that his levels of white blood cells and... Uh, lymphocytes were dangerously low, excuse me, which meant that he had no immune system, like, whatsoever. Um, now, after being placed in a specially constructed clean room in the ICU, he also became the world's first recipient of peripheral blood stem cells. At, like, it was like a, a radical cancer treatment that was meant to be Give, given to him, hoping that there would be some kind of chance of recreating the white blood cells that he needed. Now, they did harvest these from his sister's blood, like her white blood cells. Um, they did help for a while, but the radiation sickness was too severe. So, it started to damage them too eventually. So, it was just kind of like, kind of a lost cause, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah. It was also reported that Hisashi was quite unaware of his true condition at the time, and a nurse recalls him saying, quote, I thought I'd be able to leave the hospital in a month or so, but it's going to take longer, isn't it? And uh, there was another quote that says, quote, when you're exposed to radiation like this, is there a risk of contracting leukemia or something? End quote. So he was just kind of like, I guess, confused as to what could actually happen um, when you're exposed to that high dose of radiation. Um, the true outward symptoms of radiation sickness in Hisashi started with his skin falling off. Um, as the cells of the epidermis um, are somewhat of like most rapidly reproducing in the body. So like if you cut yourself, you know, it heals in a few days, right? 
that's like the first layer of the epidermis, your skin. So that has reproducing cells. So that's pretty much what that meant. So this is also meaning no medical tape at all whatsoever. Um, neither could gauze, typical, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing can be placed on his skin. Um, and they had to use a special type um, of like taper gauze only, nothing else. Now, Hisashi also started suffering from his lungs getting filled with fluid and a breathing tube was installed, in, installed excuse me, uh, which also means, you know, that the reports of him begging for his life, not exactly true. Um, although it is true that he did say at some point, quote, I am not your guinea pig, end quote. There was never any repeated proclamation of wanting to die because he was almost like consistently on assisted respiration, you know, machine from that point on. Um, it is also true that he was kept alive and the doctors tried so many things to save him because of his family, okay, had expressed their desire that every test and procedure that had the slightest possibility of working uh, needed to be tried. Point simple. Don't care if he's suffering. Wants you to try everything you can. Um, and since Hisashi himself was not in a state to make any wishes or commands, of course, they follow the family's instructions. Now, I must say, I may have a very harsh um, uh, opinion on this kind of thing, but knowing that this man's skin was falling off and he was just pretty much melting from the inside out, um, I, I don't think that was right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we all get so attached to the person, um, with them being family or a husband or, or things like that to where, you know, we just want that person to survive so bad that we in turn let them suffer or that kind of thing. Like, I'm not going to get all into it, but I'm just saying like, I could not see myself trying to keep a person that I love alive, especially if you go look at the Instagram photos. Holy shit. Like, yeah. Anyway, let's let's not get into it because that, that could be very controversial as it has been in the past. I just, I don't feel like people should suffer for love of others. That's just point blank to it, right? So, um... It is also said that Hisashi's family were never really truly informed of the hopelessness of his situation. So, like, I kind of understand where they're coming from. Um, the doctors probably just wanted to do scientific tests or see where it would go kind of thing. And they were, I don't know. Who knows? I wasn't there. But I'm just saying, like, they probably just had hopes of, like, studying the progress of what we said earlier and his family was just sitting there kind of like oh so he does have hope okay so you have all these other experiments or um uh what is it quote like uh bunny ears right uh all these other treatments that you can try let's try all those so i get it but at the end of the day you know you know they had to see him at some point i feel like i don't know i would have shit a brick if i saw him i would Oh, he was like a family member of mine. You guys, his condition was so bad. So bad. When I was researching for this case, I was like, oh my God. I felt so sorry for this man and the family. 
just insane. Anyway, off of my ranting horse. Um, so they never really told them about the hopelessness of this situation. Like he was gonna die. Like plain and simple. There's no treatment. There's nothing. He had received more than twice the dose of radiation that is fatal. So he had no chance at all whatsoever. Don't care what they said. No chance. So Hisashi's body was so far gone that when his gauze was changed, it took three hours and the room had to be heated because his body could not maintain his own heat. And the bandage that was taken off was weighed to measure, uh, excuse me, weighed to measure how much fluid he lost through the tissues so that they would know how much to give him. So he was losing like fluid and like skin and all kinds of stuff. So a common effect of radiation sickness most people are aware of is hair falling out, right? Which is seen a lot with, um, you know, chemotherapy patients. You know, you just lose, you lose your hair. Um, but because Hisashi had suffered massive radiation, okay, his nails had fallen off and his eyelids could no longer close. So he lost some of his facial structure. He lost his skin. He lost his hair. He lost his nails. Um, it, it was it was pretty, pretty, pretty disturbing and bad. Now, while he also received skin grafts, none of it took. And eventually an endoscopy showed that the membrane of his intestines had died um, and was pulling away from the intestinal wall. Now, on day 59 of Hisashi's stay in the hospital, he was pretty out of awareness due to being on fentanyl, um, a more potent painkiller than morphine. Very addictive, um, not not a good painkiller drug to put people on at all whatsoever. Um now, it was meant that he couldn't have been very aware of his condition or the fact that he was even dying. So, on the same day, Hisashi suffered a series of three heart attacks. And because he did not have a DNR yet, he was revived all three times. But, you know, but despite this, it was eventually calculated that by the third time, his heart had stopped for a total of 49 minutes and his breathing for one hour and 35 minutes. Now, I must say, you got to remember, this man could not even have bandages placed on his body because his skin would just rip away. Can you imagine what the CPR did to his skin and his body after, after that? That was only day 59 of 83, guys. Like, it's a long-ass time. Horrible conditions. Like, like, it's just bad. So, now, while his brain waves were still somewhat present, his uh, pulpillary responses were gone, you know. He had stopped responding to any stimulus, which meant that his cortex had pretty much nearly stopped working. And he was just hanging on. Just hanging on there. Um, by this time, he was also completely on a ventilator with the machine breathing for him. Uh, his liver and kidneys had begun to shut down completely, and it seemed mostly clear that he was not going to pull through, obviously. So, so finally, after 83 days of suffering and torment, um, because that's what it was, Hisashi, um, succumbed to multiple 
multiple like organ failure diagnoses. And on December 21st, 1997, he passed away. guys let's take a little break uh go to the bathroom get some snacks and a drink do whatever you got to do uh come back and we're gonna finish the episode so there was a doctor who helped treat um the three men in the university tokyo hospital where they had like passed away at his name was kazuhiko uh maikawa a professor at the university of tokyo hospital he was said to have given treatment to hisashi who died last month this is like a long time ago so this is definitely not last month just saying this is what the article said um so he helped give treatment to them so it was the first time he's ever seen anything like this at all whatsoever. Um, there was a quote that said, um, it was the first time I experienced such a case in my 30 plus years as a doctor. That's what he told uh, Kyoto News. And this man um, was 58 at the time of that interview. So he's definitely older now. Um, another quote was, almost every day we came across situations that were not covered in medical textbooks and there were, there were tough moments in continuing treatment without any sign of a way out, end quote. Now, Hisashi, who died of multiple organ failure, um, he did die at 35 years old, uh, was exposed to an estimated 17 severts of radiation when he had um, a fellow co-worker pour too much uranium into a processing tank at the nuclear um power plant um triggering like a self-sustaining nuclear fission reaction um the level of radiation which he received is said to be at least um almost the same as the blast centers in the 1945 nuclear bombings of hiroshima and nakasagi um and about 17,000 times the maximum annual permissible exposure in japan so that's just some of the stuff that he was saying. Um, he did say that he was trying to help improve the conditions of um, Hisashi and the others. Um, but of course, you know, they ultimately passed. Um, here's some other quotes from him. He said, quote, we were able to gain technical cooperation from expert doctors from various regions, as well as uh, medicine sent to us directly from abroad. The government also backed us up, saying we should provide as much treatment as possible, end quote. Um, the patient's family was also like a support for the doctors. Um, they began, you know, like treatment as soon as they all came into the hospital. Um, and the last quote that I had found in the article said, quote, the family's attitude was also very helpful. Even when the patient fell into critical condition, they never gave up hope. And I think that showed how much the family wanted Mr. Uh, Aoichi to keep living there were many things I learned from them, end quote. That's what the doctor said. Now, that's from the website health.phys, which is like, I guess, like um, P-H-Y-S dot I-I-T dot E-D-U. Um, so, I found that article through them. A couple other things here. The aftermath of the power plant incident. Um, there was like 310,000 villagers within six miles of that um, Taoki facility 
ordered to stay indoors for 24 hours. Over the next 10 days, 10,000 people were checked for radiation, with more than 600 people suffering at least low levels of radiation poisoning. Now let's get into some of the victim compensation and plant closure, um, which was a result of this incident. So over 600 plant workers, firefighters, emergency personnel, and local residents were exposed to radioactivity following the incident. October 1999, the GCO set up advisory booths to process compensation claims and increase of those who were affected. By July 2000, over 7,000 compensation claims were filed and settled. In September 2000, the JCO agreed to pay that whopping $121 million in compensation to settle 6,875 claims from people exposed to radiation and affected agricultural um, and service businesses. All residents within 350 meters of the incident and those forced to evacuate received compensation if they agreed to not sue the company in the future. Of course, company comes first, right? Um, in late March 2000, the STA canceled JCO's credentials for operations, um, serving as the first Japanese plant operator to be punished by the law for mishandling nuclear radiation. This suit was followed by the company president's uh, resignation. They like quit or resigned. Um, in October, six officials from the JCO were charged with professional negligence derived from failure to properly train technicians and knowingly subverting safety procedures. So they got the ass handed to them in the end, thankfully. No, most companies don't. They just normally sweep it under the rug. But good on them. They got they got closed. They got fined. And, yeah. So, after that, April 2001, six employees, including the chief of production department at the time, pleaded guilty to a charge of negligence resulting in a death. Um, among those arrested was, guess who? Yokokawa, the supervisor, for his failure to supervise proper procedures. The JCO president also pleaded guilty on behalf of the company. During the trial, the jury learned that a 1995 JCO safety committee had approved the use of stainless steel buckets in the procedure. Furthermore, a widely distributed but unauthorized 1996 manual recommended the use of buckets in making the solution. A STA report indicated JCO management had permitted these hazardous practices beginning in 1993 to shortcut the conversion process, even though it was contrary to approved um, nuclear chemical handling procedures. As a response to these incidents, special laws were placed, um, put in place stipulating operational safety procedures and quarterly inspection requirements. These inspections focused on the proper conduct of workers and leadership. This change mandated both safety education and quality assurance of all facilities and activities associated with nuclear power generation. Starting in 2000, Japan's Atomic and Nuclear Commissions began regular investigations of facilities. Expansive education regarding proper procedures and safety culture regarding handling nuclear chemicals and waste. Efforts to comply with emergency um, preparedness procedures and international guideline requirements continued. 
New systems were put in place for handling a similar incident with governing legislatures and um, institutions in an effort to prevent further situations from occurring. Now, Japan relies heavily on imports for 80% of all energy requirements due to this shortage. Mounting procedures to produce self-sustaining energy sources remain. In 2014, the Japanese government decided to establish the Strategic Energy Plan, naming nuclear power as an important power source that can safely stabilize and produce the energy supply and demand of the country. This event contributed to anti-nuclear activist movements against proceed, um, excuse me, against production of nuclear energy in Japan. To this day, the tensions between the need for produced power outside of non-existent natural resources and the safety of the country's population remain. Um, advocacy for acute nuclear disease victims and eradication of nuclear-related incidents had led to several movements across the globe promoting human welfare and environmental conservation. Also, just an update from what I found. So, um, so back in 2013, when they did all the changes through the Nuclear uh, Regulation Authority, um, ja like Japan had 33 nuclear power reactors that were like operable at the time. Ten received clearance to restart and open again after that. And then as of March 2021, there are only nine. So they closed one more. So they only have nine now that are still operating in Japan. Um, so, so yeah, guys, that's, that's pretty much it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Well, guys, that's all for today's episode. Tune in next Monday for another riveting case where I will traumatize you more than you already are. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out my Instagram at morbid period curiosity period TC podcast for photos related to each case that I cover. Uh, feel free to email me any case suggestions or spooky stories at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, whatever app you listen on. And I appreciate all you spooky listeners. Stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone. <laughs>